Section One of Sword Blades and Poppy Seed by Amy Lowell. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anusha Ayer, Mumbai. Sword Blades and Poppy Seed by Amy Lowell. Preface no one expects a man to make a chair without first learning how but there is a popular impression that the poet is born not made and that his verses burst from his overflowing heart of themselves as a matter of fact the poet must learn his trade in the same manner and with the same painstaking care as the cabinet maker his heart may overflow with high thoughts and sparkling fancies but if he cannot convey them to his reader by means of the written word he has no claim to be considered a poet a workman may be pardoned therefore for spending a few moments to explain and describe the technique of his trade a work of beauty which cannot stand an intimate examination is a poor and jerry-built thing in the first place i wish to state my firm belief that poetry should not try to teach that it should exist simply because it is a created beauty even if sometimes the beauty of a gothic grotesque we do not ask the trees to teach us moral lessons and only the salvation army feels it necessary to pin texts upon them we know that these texts are ridiculous but many of us do not yet see that to write an obvious moral all over a work of art picture statue or poem is not only ridiculous but timid and vulgar we distrust a beauty we only half understand and rush in with our impertinent suggestions how far we are from admitting the universe the universe which flings down its continents and seas and leaves them without comment art is as much a function of the universe as an equinoctial gale or the law of gravitation and we insist upon considering it merely a little scroll-work of no great importance unless it be studded with nails from which pretty and uplifting sentiments may be hung for the purely technical side i must state my immense debt to the french and perhaps above all to the so-called parnassian school although some of the writers who have influenced me most do not belong to it high-minded and untiring workmen they have spared no pains to produce a poetry finer than that of any other country in our time poetry so full of beauty and feeling that the study of it is at once an inspiration and a despair to the artist the anglo-saxon of our day has a tendency to think that a fine idea excuses slovenly workmanship these clear-eyed frenchmen are a reproof to our self-satisfied laziness before the works of parnassians like le comte de l'isle and jose maria de heredia or those of henri de regnier albert samain francis jean remy de gaumont in Paul four of the more modern school we stand rebuked indeed they order this matter better in france 
it is because in france today poetry is so living and vigorous a thing that so many metrical experiments come from there only a vigorous tree has the vitality to put forth new branches the poet with originality and power is always seeking to give his readers the same poignant feeling which he has himself to do this he must constantly find new and striking images delightful and unexpected forms take the word daybreak for instance what a remarkable picture it must once have conjured up the great round sun like the yolk of some mighty egg breaking through cracked and splintered clouds but we have said daybreak so often that we do not see the picture any more it has become only another word for dawn the poet must be constantly seeking new pictures to make his readers feel the vitality of his thought many of the poems in this volume are written in what the french call vers libre a nomenclature more suited to french use and to french versification than to ours i prefer to call them poems in unrhymed cadence for that conveys their exact meaning to an english ear they are built upon organic rhythm or the rhythm of the speaking voice with its necessity for breathing rather than upon a strict metrical system they differ from ordinary prose rhythms by being more curved and containing more stress the stress an exceedingly marked curve of any regular meter is easily perceived these poems built upon cadence are more subtle but the laws they follow are not less fixed merely chopping prose lines into lengths does not produce cadence it is constructed upon mathematical and absolute laws of balance and time in the preface to his poems only speaks of those unrhyming rhythms in which i had tried to quintessentialize as i believe one scarce can do in rhyme the desire to quintessentialize to head up an emotion until it burns white hot seems to be an integral part of the modern temper and certainly unrhymed cadence is unique in its power of expressing this three of these poems are written in a form which so far as i know has never before been attempted in english monsieur paul fort is its inventor and the results it has yielded to him are more beautiful and satisfactory perhaps it is more suited to the french language than to english but i found it the only medium in which these particular poems could be written it is a fluid and changing form now prose now worse and permitting a great variety of treatment but the reader will see that i have not entirely abandoned the more classic english meters i cannot see why because certain manners suit certain emotions and subjects it should be considered imperative for an author to employ no others schools are for those who can confine themselves within them perhaps it is a weakness in me that i cannot in conclusion i would say that these remarks are in answer to many questions asked me by people who have happened to read some of these poems in periodicals they are not for the purpose of forestalling criticism nor of courting it and they deal as i said in the beginning solely with the question of technique for the more important part of the book the poems must speak for themselves <laughs>
Amy Lowell, May nineteenth, nineteen fourteen. End of the preface, read by Anusha Ayer, Mumbai.